Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Southern Snowflakes. Uh, I don't even know what number it is. I think it's number seven or eight. I can't remember. But either way, we're glad that you're here with us um, wherever you're listening. If it's in the morning, the evening, or um, middle of the night, we don't care. We're glad that you're listening. Um, and we're excited to um, kick off another episode. Um, tonight is going to be a topic that is uh, of great concern to me. Um, uh, in that as I'm an educator, I want people to be educated on this topic and it's the topic of white privilege. Um, you know, growing up in the South, um, there was lots of times where, um, I benefited from being white, where my friends who were black did not receive the same benefits. And, um, I grew up seeing that, but only as an adult, um, have I really, tried to be more proactive in um, educating uh, other white people about uh, the topic. Um, Todd, last week I said, I really want, or two weeks ago, I said, I really want to talk about this topic uh, because I think that people need to hear about it so much more than just in a news story or a little Facebook tidbit. They need to hear real live voices who have had real experiences with what this is and what it means and, and, and the only way to ever fix it is to become more aware of it. Right. Um, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk about that tonight and um, uh, just educate some people on the topic. Well, we, this is episode number eight, and I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, we've, we're, we're going to have eight completed episodes here. Um, Jed, I, I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about this. And what I would invite the listeners to do tonight is to – not come in with this reactionary mindset like, oh, there's no such thing as white, uh, white privilege or, oh, all lives matter or, you know, I don't have any blind spots. I'm a, I'm a progressive liberal person. I'm, I'm not racist at all. And I think, I think that all of us have blind spots and we all need to, to listen and have an open mind and, um, and not just come – figure that we've we've all arrived and that we have all of our conclusions about race and uh social justice are fully formed and and it's a it's a it's a process to me of trying to consistently discover where i continue to have blind spots with regards to race gender um, sexual orientation and and other other divisions that we create um in society. And sometimes, um, as a straight white male, um, I, I definitely see that I have blind spots that I'm not aware of other people's struggles. Um, so, uh, I'm in, I'm looking forward to tonight and, and hopefully, um, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you saying that Todd, because, um, I know many of our listeners may come in here with those preconceived ideas and say those things. Um, and the only way that I've ever been, um, able to grow in my walk uh, throughout life um, is to have that open mind and to listen. Um, I, I appreciate what you said about being a straight white male as a gay white male. Um, it has helped me to understand a little bit of that white privilege um, because I see um, how straight white men have privileges sometimes to go in to certain restaurants that I don't right? Uh, because I don't fit that mold. And but the thing is that I've learned, um, you know, I, and I'll bring in our guest, Carmen. Um, Carmen, um, Carmen McLean Cousin is a great friend of mine from high school way back in the day, over 20 plus years ago. 
um, she and I were talking in a, a coffee in a wine bar in Charlotte with another uh, friend of ours, Marvin. Um, it was been about two years ago, right, Carmen? Yeah, about two years ago. Well, two actually, years. yeah, yeah, two. About two years ago, and we um, were talking, and and Carmen said to me, "Don't don't be ashamed of the white privilege, but figure out a way to use it to educate people that it's there, and how we the more awareness that you have, the the better that." we can move forward. Um, and I, I'll tell you, Todd, I have thought about her saying that to me every time I, I post on Facebook. Um, if, a, if a black person is shot by a cop or if a, there's an injustice that involves a black person anywhere, I, I hear her say that. And I hear her um, say to me, I, we must educate people that this is real. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a, um, a retail store. I won't say which one it is. Um, because uh, I'm not convinced that the whole re- retail store was bad, but I was in a. When I walked into the store, the lady was like, "Oh, how are you? What can I help you with?" Um, and I told her what I needed, and she escorted me um, to where it was in the store. Please let me know if you need any help. Um, and I said, "Okay, I will. Thank you." And then she walked back up to the front, and um, when she got back up to the front, I, I, I ignored her for a little bit, and then I got what I needed and went up to the front while I was checking out two black guys walked in. And, um, when they walked in, instead of greeting them, she got her on a radio and said, there's two black males just entered the building. Somebody keep an eye out. And my brain just exploded right there in the store. And I called her out. I said, ma'am, I said, did you radio and tell everybody in the store that I walked in? I said, no, you asked me what you could do for me and helped me. I said, what did those guys do? I said, the only difference I can see, and I just said it. I said, the only difference I can see between me and them is the color of their skin. And she got all upset with me and just, uh, you know, just she was so flustered. Her, and it was a white lady, and she turned 14 shades of red. I don't know <laughs> if she was embarrassed or um, angry. Um, she tried to act like it was um, that she knew those people and they had been in there before. Um, but you know what? They came right in there. They got a Coke and a bag of chips. And came right up to the store, uh, to the counter. Um, and it was at that moment I was like, ah, oh, I just was so infuriated because that is something I will never understand personally. Um, and, and I just, it grieves me that my friends like Carmen and Jordan, who's going to be on a little while, and, and Marvin, as we mentioned earlier, um, that all of my black friends have to deal with that on a daily basis. The difference for me as a white, as a gay white man, I, I can turn, I can hide my gayness. I can hide it. But, but Carmen, you can't hide the color of skin. What does that feel like for you on a day-to-day basis to, to have to deal with that? <clears throat> Speak to our listeners and, and give them a, a real life, just a voice. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on here to speak about this. And uh, um, when you did mention to me that the words that I said to you that evening um, resonated with you, that really warmed my heart. Um, I've, you know, I've known you for years and known you to be open and honest and our conversations have always been great. So to know that that conversation sparked something in you, um, just thank you. Thank you so much for You're telling welcome. me that. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, the thing about white privilege, um, you know, of course that term has been around, but for me, I didn't really um, take notice of it until probably, I would say maybe three or four years ago when all of the unarmed black men, police shootings started happening. 
And we started kind of delving into, you know, why it was happening, what's going on and, you know, uh, why are black men being treated this way and versus, you know, white men or, or, or vice versa or whatever. And it was a term white privilege came up. And so I'm like, you know, what, what is this? I mean, I think, you know, growing up being black, you know, you, you've always know that, I would say that always, but most of us always have seen where white people have been able to have an advantage um, over uh, a person of color. Um, but we, we just chalked that up as um, perhaps, you know, um, racism or, um, or, you know, they're white. We never really gave it a name. And, um, and so once these killings started happening and um, the officers were not being held accountable, um, this word started popping up on social media. And so um, I think what ended up happening was that now you have this forum where people are talking and people are exposing, hey, you know, you get people, white people would be like, you know what, well, why, why couldn't he have just did what the cop said? Or why couldn't he have just complied? Or, you know, why, why are black people so angry and mad? You know, all lives matter. What is it about this Black Lives Matter movement? And it was then that you're like, wow, you guys, and when I say you guys, I'm saying that in just, you know, general terms, just don't get it. Um, and it's not anything sinister in most of, of the people. It's just that it's, a, it's, a, it's an ignorance in the fact that there's just situations that white people don't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it's just situations that you will never, ever have to think about. Um, so for me, um, I've start. I mean, like I said, it's always been around. We've always noticed it as people of color, but now with a name and a term that is out there, we can start pointing it out to those white people who want to know, number one, who want to know, because inevitable, the, the, the term white privilege is that of really a white person being oblivious to the, um, advantages that he or she has in life and um but thinks that everyone else has those same privileges and advantages right, right. but they don't and, and you know that that is an interest that's a that is the perfect point is that people think that everyone has the same privilege but they don't um you know if you took if you took me uh, one of the one of the things i hear a lot uh from from my white people my you know I'll say it, my family, <laughs> uh, my family is very Southern and they grew up down here. And, um, you know, Carmen, you and I even talked about that probably when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is people say, Oh, I don't have privilege. I work my tail off for everything mm -hmm. that I have. But I saw this on Facebook the other day. It was a perfect example. It was a friend of mine from California, uh, a black lady there. And she was talking about um, preparing for uh, financial re retirement. And she said on her Facebook, she said, when white people get a cold, black people get pneumonia. Mm. And that struck me because it was, it's so, it, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about is when, if you take me, uh, a, a white man and, and, and a black guy, and you give us the same, same life experience exactly, it is going to be easier for me to overcome those because when people see me, they're going to see me as someone um, a, a, a white guy, they're not going to see me as a, uh, as a black man who, um, with all the stereotypes that they put on him, 
or mm-hmm. with the, it's just overwhelming to me. Yeah. The advantages that I'm going to have um, from buying a home, buying a car, shopping, at the, shopping at the store. Uh, now I will tell you something that I, I am on the same. I'm scared to death when I get pulled over because I'm the kind of person that I, I want to ask questions and say, mm-hmm. what did I do? And you know, some of these, sometimes when I've seen these videos of, of black guys and the cops, like not, not where anything ended bad. I totally relate to that. I am petrified. Sure. My family has had some pretty bad run-ins um, yeah. with law enforcement. My mom was a victim of domestic violence more than one time. Um, and the domestic violence laws, unfortunately, are not in favor of the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is, uh, I understand that a snippet, a snippet. Sure. Um, but I'm so glad you brought that up about, you know, it's just that they, they don't understand. Well, uh, go ahead. Well, 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 the reason why, um, I would say that, that, that most white people don't understand or do not want to be cognizant of it is because, you know, the white experience is considered the norm. I want to it is considered the norm. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> yes, the white experience is considered the norm, the ideal, the average. And so, therefore, if you are white, um, your life experience is what you think everyone's life experience mm-hmm. should be or can be. And if it's not, then it obviously has to be at the fault of that person of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so when, when, when your experience and your culture is the norm, you don't understand why it means so much to, uh, I say for me, you know, with this new Barbie, Mattel's um, girl, Barbie's uh, women, uh, Barbie's that they have out now with all the different um, uh, professions and it's all different genders and um, uh, professions. And it's, it's, I mean, not genders, I'm sorry, different uh, professions for the Barbie's. It, it, seeing that and seeing the representation of black women, Hispanic women, um, scientists, athletes, I was like, this is amazing because all we had for years was blonde Barbie mm-hmm. with, you know, her sister. I can't remember her sister's name, but, uh, and Ken, <laughs> there you go. Skipper. It was Skipper. <laughs> How would you know, Jed? <laughs> well, that, that, that's actually next week's episode. <laughs> right. Write that down. But um, but but <laughs> but um, it was it was fantastic to see um all the different um professions and the different types of women um uh, represent represented, and so that's one of the things of white privilege that I would call out is that you know white people can look at media any forms of media and see themselves represented every day, you know the success and the the great you know, um, excitement about the Black Panther was not so much about Black Panther. It was the fact that we finally had someone, you know, some superhero for the kids and for adults who love comics to to go to and see and be inspired and awed because that part of the um, culture had been ignored for years. Yeah, and I think about I think about the little girl looking at uh, Michelle Obama's portrait. Absolutely. It's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful moment. And I'm, I'm so thankful. And you know what? A lot of people give social media a bad rap. But I think social media is what's helping to bring these things out. Absolutely. Be- because it's a flashlight it's into a flashlight. society. And it's connected, it's connected us in a way that we've never been connected before. I'm not going to lie to you. When I was, I remember... The first time that I ever went to a black person's house, 
in my mind, Carmen, I mm-hmm. thought that it was I thought that it was gonna be different. I thought <laughs> it was gonna be so different, you know? But guess what? There was a bathroom and there was paper, <laughs> there was paper towels in the kitchen and there was a closet full of I mean it was just it was exactly the same. Right. And once I went into the house, I was like, well, why I feel stupid for thinking it was different. Facebook is helping to see is helping us to see that in, in such a different way. And I, I'm not just Facebook, but Twitter and Instagram, sure. all the social media platforms. Um, Todd, why don't you introduce uh, your guest that you brought on this week? Yeah. Um, um, so I would love to get all, everybody's voice in here. So our next guest is um, Jordan Manigo. Jordan is a, a graphic designer, a very, very talented graphic designer from Spartanburg. And um, one of the things that I've enjoyed, you, you mentioned social media. There are certain people that, post on social media and you look forward to their posts because you're going to learn something or you're going to get a take on an issue that maybe wasn't on your radar. And Jordan's one of those people. So Jordan, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time tonight. And as you've been listening to this conversation, um, what are some of your thoughts that you'd like to share with people? Uh, (laughs) uh, one, this is my first time ever doing a a podcast. So I'm not, (laughs) So you're gonna have to um, kind of forgive me for not being possibly not being quite quite as coherent. Or, uh, <laughs> now, Jordan, I have never known you to be shy. <laughs> I'm not here. Yeah, I'm not shy. I'm just, like, <laughs> like, these, these structured pla- these structured platforms, like you know, and you know, being in my apartment and you know, trying to and trying to figure out what to say and how to say it is always like little. A little nerve wracking. I'm not I'm not nervous though, but um same here, Jordan. I, I understand. I understand, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> um I guess I just start with where I'm from. I'm at, I'm I'm yeah, I live in Spartanburg now, but I'm from I'm from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I I I, I was born and raised in Conway. Uh I met Todd through the high school that I went to because he was my he was one of, he was my broadcasting teacher. Um so I met him. I met him a long time ago. This was like what, two thousand two, thousand three. Todd, Todd was your teacher, Jordan. Yeah, he was. I had, no, I did not know that. That's great. I did not know that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, he taught the the broadcasting class, and uh, I think he also taught. Uh, I had him for communications as well. I think that's that class was. Yeah, um, like an introduction. Yeah. Yeah, introduction to communications, and um, I always enjoyed. Enjoyed his going to his classes and uh, doing the broadcasting stuff. And um, Todd used to always make these really like funny rap videos for the news broadcast. <laughs> 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 and uh, I remember, I really remember those. Those are really, those are really fun. And um, yeah, he's Todd always just really stuck out to me as as an educator during my time at Toronto Forest. Um, there weren't too many teachers there that kind of that stuck out to me. And Todd was always one of those people who you know made coming to school, you know, for a teenager who was like, ah, God, I hate high school. <laughs> he always made it, you know, kind of bearable. So, so I always, always appreciated that. Um, so, okay, so I mean, I'm, God, I don't know where to start. Like, where were, okay, where, what were you guys talking so about? I'll, I'll, jump in, I'll jump in here. Uh, something that Carmen and I were talking about, and I think that I wanted to talk about it more, but we changed directions, Carmen. So, it was talking about that the white experience is the norm. Uh, I have mentioned to our listeners um, several times for the last couple of weeks, 
about a book I read called White Awake. Um, it's by a pastor named Daniel Hill out of Chicago. And um, he is, he's a white pastor writing to white people to help us realize about privilege and about the white experience being the norm. And um, he talks a, a lot in here about um, the white norm and how, um, you know, when, when white people say, oh, well, that's not normal. Well, what you mean is that's not white. That's not the white way. Um, and whether you mean it that way or not, that is what you mean. And, and it's, it's hard to get people to understand that. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of times names are what he mentioned, you know. Oh, well, that's a unique name or that's an abnormal name. Uh, but you know what? Jed is not a normal name um, when I go to Senegal. When I live over in Senegal, Jed's not a normal name. Uh, but mm-hmm. one would say, oh, yeah, it's a normal name. It's just all those names are abnormal. No, mm-hmm. it's because you're, do, you're, you're viewing it from your world of normality. Um, and I, I just, I want, us, I want us to talk about that a little bit more um, and how that affects anyone who is not white. I mean, uh, what, what does that, how does that affect the mindset? Uh, uh, what does that do as far as your, your relationships um, with, in the workforce and mm-hmm. in, in business world and, and at the banks, at the grocery store. I mean, wherever you go, I just think that people of people um, who are white need to hear these stories as much as possible so that they can't say it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Oh, well, first thing that comes to mind is, uh, this, for, for me, is this idea that a lot of a lot of black people, um, regardless of their, regardless, I, I feel personally, regardless of their political standing, regardless of their class, regardless of how they feel about white people, you know, anywhere in America, we all have, black people have adopted certain survival mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, to deal with uh, a wide variety of, of of microaggressions in order to survive in this country, and the reason why I say that is because you know you know white people don't have to really deal with us. White people can ignore people of color in this country. They can basically wall themselves off in gated communities and/or suburbs. Um, they can, there are white people who go their entire lives without really interacting with any black people outside of a, of a, um, of a customer service, outside of customer service, really. Someone who's taking out their trash, someone who's serving them, you know, hamburgers at a restaurant. Other than that, they don't really have to interact with us. But black people, black, black people, we have, we have to deal with white people every day. Well, you know, we are, we are the minority in this country. So, and people don't, People don't realize that when we talk about systematic racism, we're not talking about some hillbilly calling me calling me the n-word. I'm talking about the fact that in every aspect of a black person's life, we have to deal with white people. I have to go to a white person nine times out of ten to get my teeth clean. I have to go to a white person. Uh, I have to go to white people to get a job. Uh, particularly the higher up I get in my field, I have to I have to deal with white people uh, in figuring out you know, what schools I want to go to. I have to deal with white people in legislation. People who run the districts that a lot of black people live in typically tend to be white. The vast majority of people who run Fortune 500 companies in this country are white, you know, so on and so forth. So 
what you were talking about, like what constitutes normal for for a lot of black people, we um black culture in this country is somewhat of a subculture from the rest of American culture. And it's not something that white people are exposed to unless they choose to expose themselves to it. Um and when they do expose themselves to it, that's a whole nother um <laughs> The whole other conversation. Um, so we have to put on when we when we walk outside of our houses, we have to sometimes put on a different face. Yes. Um, a different tone of voice, a different a different disposition, a different a different poise, a different a different way of enunciating words. Um, yes. We have to constantly sit and evaluate in our heads every single solitary thing that a white person says to us and try to figure out what they mean by that. That, you know, um, should I, if it is something that we felt offended or, or we felt like, or we felt offended by, we have to, we have to, okay, is this, should I say something? Should I not say something? You know, how do I mask my frustration? Um, you know, should I let it go? Should I not? Um, you know, we you know we we cover all that stuff up. Why, when we're out in the world interacting with you know with white people, and then you know then we go home and then we'll we'll laugh about it or crack jokes or or whatever we can do to kind of to kind of cope with it. And we do these we do these things without uh, without really being aware that we're doing it. Yeah. Like I said, every every black person has a different way has has a different coping mechanism. Every black person has a different way. Of surviving that environment for uh for me for me growing up it was it was you know for me growing up dealing with it meant kind of uh diluting my blackness in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. um and and it, it's really uncomfortable to talk about that i went through a period of time in middle school where i i hated being black i used to so much so to the point that I would sometimes draw pictures of myself as a white person, which is, which is, I've never really ever talked about that with anybody because it's such a, it's so far, it's so far away from the person I am now. But, you know, as most, as most kids, when you, when you're, when you're in adolescence and you're trying to figure out who you are and you're struggling with identity, that was part of my struggle. That's how I cope. That's how I survived in the environment that I, that I was in because, you know, um, I had to deal with black people who would yeah. who would judge me for not being black enough, mm -hmm. and I also had to deal with white people who would, uh, whether they were where they're doing or not, judge me or criticize me or 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 anything of that nature for not being you know for being too black. You know, I was I was always either too black or or too white. But since white culture is the norm. I felt that I needed to learn to survive and learn to adopt a way of, of, of uh, adopt a way of, of carrying myself that was more in line with, you know, with what made white people comfortable. Whether, and I, I did these things so subconsciously that I didn't even realize it until I got much older that that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jordan, I just appreciate good grief that, that honesty. Um, and, uh, I know I have known you, um, only as an adult, uh, but to hear that some of the things that you went through in middle school, it just, it just hurts my heart for you that that was, um, the experience that you, that you had to go through. Um, and, 
uh, the coping mechanisms. And, and um, I, I think all of us at, at some point in middle school probably fall into some coping mechanisms. But that one is so, so much harder to hear because, it, it, I mean, it just breaks my heart. And it also breaks my heart to hear that even, even in today's world, present day, that there are still ways that you have to, um, you have to go out. And I, I don't want to say be fake because I know you're not a fake person, but you have to play the part. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that just grieves me that anybody has to live like that. For example, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Carmen. Go ahead. Um, you know, and that was one of the other things that I was going to, you know, the list of things that um, of white privilege that sometimes white people don't understand that they have. Um, and, and, and going to what Jordan was saying, you know, in the workplace, particularly in the workplace, as a black female, um, I have to be very conscious of how I carry myself. I have to be very conscious of how I talk to people. And even watching other coworkers who may voice their displeasure or maybe voice their concerns about things that are going on in sometimes what I consider a normal or maybe even maybe more aggressive way, if I were to express myself that way, I would be characterized as the angry black woman. That is something that's different from the white culture that they don't have to be uh, subjected to um, as being character- mischaracterized or characterized uh, in a negative way by showing normal emotions. For example, um, if a black person goes out and commits a crime, you know, um, that black person is supposedly representat- representative of all black people. Mm-hmm. And we know that's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. However, if a white person goes out and commit a crime, then white people can get off by saying, okay, that was a lone wolf, or that was just one mm-hmm. per- crazy person, or that was just one bad seed. Uh, so we as black people, we carry the mantle for every single black person. We are not allowed to be individuals, whereas white privilege allows you to be Jed allows you to be just whoever you are. Right. We ha- represent the whole entire black community. I don't know if you um, felt like that, um, um, Jordan. Um, you know, do, do you feel that way or similarly see it that way as far as like anything that you do is representative of the whole entire black race? Yeah. Um, every, every, every black person who does anything remotely positive has to be super Negro. Like, you know, you, you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. You can't be, you can't just be yourself. Like, you, yeah. Um, and what you were saying about when a black person does something bad, all of us might as well have done it. It's, it's, and, and when white people do something, it's individualized. It's the complete opposite for us. When a black person does something positive, it's like, oh, that you know, oh, that that Tyrone, he's well, he's he's a he's a great guy. Yeah. But but if, but if Tyrone does something, does something screwed up, it's like, oh, see that see, that's black, that's black people. I say that all black. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. never like you know, it's always it's always that way for us. Yeah. It's always it's always it's always the complete the well, complete opposite. You know, when when Todd and I were talking about doing this episode. Um, Carmen, you were the very first person that I wanted to bring on, and I've I've already told the listeners why, um, told you why. Uh, but in my in my heart and my understanding of white privilege and 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 what you guys just talked about, I was I I don't I I was afraid to ask you because I didn't want it to come I didn't want it to come across like what you just exactly. said that I thought yeah. that you represented all black people by being here. Right. Um, yeah. I struggled with that. I struggled with that. But at the same time, I said, I've got to, 
move past that because I want, right. Carmen's, I want Carmen's story to be told. And I that's want, I want Carmen's thing. voice to be heard. Go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. And yeah, well, I was going to say, and, and inviting Jordan, Jordan could have been on almost every other podcast we had, like the Star Wars episode or anything else. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's on this episode and, and that's something that was that crossed my mind. I'm like, you know, he could have participated in any other conversation. And I think that sometimes white people think that, um, you know, well, we, we can't, we, you know, when we talk to um, our friends, our, our African-American friends, that, you know, they're going to be the experts on race. And that's their primary, <laughs> that's their primary mission is to, to, to teach us about race. Um, and, and we kind of pigeonhole them there. We, we forget all the other things that they're experts on. And um, I'm sure, so I, I, that's something that's been on my mind. I wanted to, to mention one of the th- things that happens, um, I think a lot of liberal people, and I kind of mentioned this in the beginning, a lot of liberal people think that they have the race thing figured out. And what what ends up happening is you become liberal. Oh, I voted for Bernie Sanders or, you know, I supported Barack Obama. So I've got the whole this whole thing figured out and Black Lives Matter. And great. I would like um, Carmen and and Jordan to talk about things that liberal white folks still need to know and learn and what your your experience with liberal white folks who may be. Uh, unintentionally are still have some racist issues to work out. You can go ahead. You can go ahead, Carmen. Okay. <laughs> um, wow. Good question. Um, so what I would say to my liberal white folks would be, um, you know, go, go deeper, go further than just the, um, I voted for Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, have those meaningful conversations like we're having right now of where you go to your, your black friends and your black coworkers and talk to them and ask them about their experience. And then don't just stop there, you know, find a way that you can act and that you can do, and then share that with your other white liberal friends who may not be aware or may not be as educated. Um, so I, I say that, you know, surface level stuff, as far as who you vote for, you know, you can post whatever you want to post on Facebook, but until you get in there and really understand someone's experience, taking the time to be with them, seeing other cultures, how they live, how they, um, how, how they celebrate, how they, how they mourn, how they just, how they are, that's the only way that you can get a real true understanding and then, and then do, you know, don't just learn to learn, then do join some type of organization, join, um, you know, help, help your, your coworker who you know has been busting their ass, you know, in that company and, and can't seem to get a breakthrough, you know, to that next promotion, you know, be their advocate, be their advocate, because um, that's where I see that we all can come together and help each other out to get past the systemic oppression for people of color is when we come together and act and do. So that's what, you know, that's what I would say to my white liberal friend is, is just act. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I pretty much uh, agree with that. I, um, I guess if I, if I had to try and elaborate on anything she said, like the idea of, of acting, I've always, I've always tried, or at least from from my perspective, broken down 
the the things that can be done to um, alleviate a lot of the prevailing issues within uh, poor black and brown communities or just uh, or just poor communities in general are mm-hmm. are more or less revolved around uh, infrastructure, education, and social services. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have those three things in a neighborhood, that neighborhood typically tends to be a thriving one. Um, and for me, in the the, the aspects of, of Black history that you know that I've all, that you know that I spent a lot of time reading about, um, particularly when it comes to what Martin Luther King was doing in the last in the last years of his life, uh, Fred Hampton, uh, who was a Black Panther, the um, they were concentrating on on calling the government out on that's right calling the government out on saying okay you you know you helped all these all these white people the, the government had helped white people um you you helped them and further them economically by giving them by by you know giving them a strong foundation in which to build themselves up on top of um, but then would turn around and tell black people that they need to pull themselves up by their own bootstrap. <laughs> that, you know, you know, we, you know, that, you know, you the, you know, that is a self-made man or whatever. You don't, you don't need any help. You know, you know, that's not, and that was never the case. The lie. Martin Luther King was trying to call the government out on that. And that's why he got his brains blown out. He didn't, you know, it cost the government nothing to let white people and black people use the same water fountain. But it, but it, it would cost them everything to literally to to genuinely fix the mess that they that they that they that they created for us. They actually help us put us on the same economic economic pedestal as them. That's a that's a that's a threat to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because that because that starts to that starts to dismantle the the the, the power structure. So now yeah, you exactly. now, now now you're starting to tear something down that has been put in place to keep people in a right. certain level in a certain yeah. area. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it, it it means absolutely nothing for for me and Todd to sit down at at, a, at at Five Guys and eat a burger. No one cares, you know. But people who look like me sitting at, a, at sitting at the same seat as someone who looks like Todd, who is who is who is in charge of moving around moving around real substantial resources in this mm-hmm. in this country, like, no, they're not, no. They're not going to have that. And if they do, it's going to be one or two people who are kind of like, again, these super Negroes that are meant to simultaneously represent all of Black people and all of Negrodom, but the same time, there's going to be this immense amount of pressure from the powers that be to to make sure that those people are still there to further their agenda. Right. And they usually get those people to stay, you know, to stay, to stay in their lane with money. Oh, you have, we're, we're giving you all of this. You want to keep it, then you have to do A, B, C, you know, D and E. And that's a very, and it, and it puts black people who were lucky enough to be in those substantial positions of power to actually, they they have to ride this really fine line between keeping the people who put them there happy and also representing what is essentially their their entire ethnic group. And the more I, the more I realize that in my own life, I, the more I see it in the way Obama's uh, uh, administration went. I can see that I can see that push and pull in him, and the way that 
some of the things he might have wanted to do mm-hmm. but couldn't because he's hindered by you know the by you know flung by you know for lack of a better term uh politics you know the pol- the politics of this country and the face that he had to put on and the person he had to be versus the person he might have wanted to be or the things that he might have wanted to do so if white so if white liberal people really want to really want to to help i mean the 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 macro the, the microaggressions that liberal people kind of you know you know you know that they that they express to black people subconsciously um that's that's such a that's such a big ball that's, that's such a this is a giant ball of complication. It's hard to really nail down what can be done, what can what cannot be done, right. other than just other than just exposure, like exposure, exactly. awareness. As many different people as you possibly can. I had to do that. I had to expose myself to like um, different people that I might not have felt comfortable with in order to learn how to interact with them. And you learn and you learn through trial and error. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be neat. Sometimes you're going to offend people and sometimes you might get yelled at. Sometimes you, I mean, but you, you, it's like family therapy. You know, you, you have to go through those emotions. But the, but the thing that, the concrete thing that white liberal people can do, use, use the privilege and the power that you have to genuinely question the powers that be that control education, infrastructure, and social service. If, you know, take them, take them to task. Call them out, call them, call them out on their on their bull, and just you know, and I mean, it's, and vote and vote for people who are genuine about making these changes in those areas, and hold them to it. Yep. Um, what what exi- give me give our listeners an example of a, a microaggression that you commonly experience, just so that they know what you mean by that. Um. Okay. So let me think. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Okay. So, all right. Uh, my friend. Okay, I am literally probably one of two black people in my friend group here. That's why. Um, it's because of this. The, the as, as a designer, as a working professional designer, not too many black people who work in design full time. So that's just the way it is. Um, but when, when it comes to issues of dating, right? Um, one of my biggest fears is. Uh, approaching white women and then them having them tell me that they don't date black people. So I typically just kind of like, um, unless 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 they approach me, I don't really approach white women. It's not something that I'm I'm that I'm settled on. I'm trying to work through that, but that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is for me. And anyone who asks me about it, that's what I tell them. And the last time I told some of my some of my white friends about my anxieties about dating white women. They completely dismissed it. Oh, it's oh, don't worry about that. You just go, you just go up to them, you just go up to a girl and talk to her. Like I'm twelve. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't know how to talk to a woman. It, I'm like they can completely dis, they can, they're completely dismissing the fact that there are these this entire other layer of of um, entire other other layer of anxiety that I have to deal with. And even after I explained it to them, they're like. Oh, that's that's stupid. Don't worry about that. Just just uh just you know go go up and talk to them like a regular person. They'll be scared. So that's and then, and then you know, trying to figure out turn and then turn. What they do is they belittle your concern. They belittle yeah. they belittle you to think that you can't talk to people. Um, you know that that infuriates me when anybody's uh 
anxieties like that are belittled. Um, yeah. and, and I, it, it makes me angry that, that that's something you deal with. What can, like, if, if it's uh, if it, if, if you and I, Jordan, were at the coffee shop, that's the last time I saw you was a coffee shop downtown, right? Mm-hmm. If we're there and I'm standing in a group like that and I hear somebody say that to you, what, what would, what would be my response? Um, I would want to be like, man, that's bull. And that's bullshit. Listen to, listen to the man, listen to what he's saying. I mean, that would be my initial response, but then, yeah, I mean, I mean, is that, is that what I'm supposed to say? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I, I would want to say. I that's get, what I would, if, if you, if you were pink, purple, rainbow, whatever, that's what I want to say is just how stupid that is because I feel like, you know, I, being a gay man, people do that to me. Uh, when I start talking about things that bother me as a gay person, um, you know, I just this week I had to say, you know, imagine if you woke up every day and felt like you had to um, convince people that God loved you. Because yeah. that's how I live as a gay man. Every single day I have to convince people that Jesus still loves me, that God still loves mm-hmm. me. Um, and so putting that into your shoes, you have to convince people that that you're that being black is not your humanity or you know what i'm yeah. saying you're, you're that's what i'm saying yeah it's not the they they see it from their they filter it through their perspective they don't stop and say wait you know jordan's a grown man i'm pretty sure that what he's saying that what he's saying is a valid experience and maybe i should stop talking for a second and listen yeah they don't want to do that they 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 they're so again white people are so used to their experiences being the norm that when someone else, another person of color says, that's not my experience, mm-hmm. they're flabbergasted by it. They're blown like, what? Like, really? Like, nah, you're, nah, you're, nah, just, just, just do it this way. Just well, it goes back I, to what, it goes back to what we were saying about um, the white experience is the norm. <laughs> and, and so, you know what, I've been in that same situation though, uh, with, with my black friends and heard that happen. And it's, it's one of those things where you're like, are you, I, I feel like the white people that I know are, they're doing two things. I don't, I, I don't think they're always trying to belittle. I think they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. very it's uncomfortable definitely. and they don't know how to deal with that uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I learned a long time ago, Carmen, riding mm-hmm. the black bus on the band, mm-hmm. right. Was to embrace the uncomfortable moments. And Absolutely. Just, yeah. that's where you learn from them. That's where well, you learn. Exactly, Jed. And, 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 and this goes to our conversation two years ago, you know, when we were talking about it, I immediately wanted to make sure we understood what the conversation was about. And I was like, Jed, look, this is not about you feeling guilty for being right. white. Yeah. Like you're blessed to be white. I'm blessed to be black. We're blessed to be here, period. So, you know, it's, it's, so it's not a guilt trip that um, anyone is trying to put on a person um, that is white. It's basically saying, hey, you know, please don't you know, lessen our experiences or invalidate our experiences as people of color when we talk about that is that we have to work twice as harder and be, more, you know, perfect to just get some of the opportunities that you guys have on a regular day-to-day basis. You know, I grew up with my dad telling me all the time, Carmen, you have to be twice as good. You got to be t- twice as good and work twice as harder. Okay, to just even be on the level playing field as a white counterpart. And I've taken that to heart, you know, and with my daughters, you know, I talk to them. So 
sometimes they'll wake up and they want to wear certain things to school. And I'll be like, no, you're not going out of the house looking like that. And they're like, oh, but mom, all the other girls look like this. I said, let me explain something to you. You're not like all the other girls. I said, you can't wear that and be treated like all the other girls. They're going to look at you, see the way you're dressed, and they're going to automatically, and I say they, meaning some maybe the administrators, the teachers, whoever, they're going to place a stigma on you just because of the way you're dressed. Even though your white counterpart may be wearing the same thing, you're not going to be perceived that way. I know it sucks. I know we don't really supposed to care about what people think about us, but at this point in time in your life, I have to set you up for success, and I have to guide you through this. And so I have those talks with my daughters who don't understand why they can't wear, you know, hoodies and why they can't wear certain things that their white counterparts wear. Um, but it goes back to, again, just having to be twice as good, work twice as harder just to even start out on that level playing field. And so that's, that, that's one of the things that, you know, um, as a mother raising two, two daughters that I, I constantly have to talk to them about in their presentation and how they have to present themselves. What I see, yeah. um, is um, an issue with with white folks. Um, a lot of friends, family, um, people on Facebook is this sort of knee jerk defensiveness when you when someone says Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. they say All Lives Matter. It's a it's a it betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of what that means. When someone says Black Lives Matter, they don't mean that white lives don't matter. And there's an right. they they think that that's somehow implied in that statement, or that if we talk about white privilege, um, there there's this defensiveness because, like Jed had mentioned, well, well, I was poor when I grew up, and I had to come out of that. And there's a complete misunderstanding of what all these things mean. And, and it's like, it's, it's almost like white people, a lot of white people have this, this amnesia about the context of racial issues. When you look back at, at, you know, hundreds of years of history, and then they'll say, well, they, they just look to, well, we had a president Obama, so it's all cured (laughs) now. It's all fine now. And I don't understand why we're still talking about race or why people are still griping about that. This is, this is the one of the hardest things for me in talking to white people is this automatic defensiveness that they get when you when you mention these issues because they don't consider themselves racist at all. But then when they push back like that, it's like, haven't you read a history book? Don't you understand? Don't you even? Aren't you even aware? Having an imagination of what that experience is like. And I think it's a failure of imagination and an ignorance of history and an ignorance of, 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 a, a, an experience outside of your own. So you guys talk about that. Well, yeah, it's, um, man, and, uh, it, it, it's, it's guilt. It, it, it's, it's, from my perspective, it's, it's partly guilt. It's part, uh, a lack of, a lack of education. And I, I, I've, issues with the way public education system has, you know, kind of basically ignores the history of civil war, reconstruction, um, black code, Jim Crow. You you really, Mm -hmm. kids really ever learn about any of that stuff. They learn about all the aspects of that, of these things that make white people feel the most comfortable. And even then they sanitize it. You you learn about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and the peanut butter guy. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that's really... That's really it. Yeah, George Washington yeah. Carver, and that's kind of it. Any any other any other, and they had and white people have this perception that 
you know, the civil rights movement for black people was this, was this, you know, peace loving kumbaya, hold hands. We're all right. the same philosophy kind of, kind of movement. And it wasn't, it, 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 there were, there were, you know, you had, you had all different kinds of different perspectives and ideas about what constitutes liberation. And how That's to right. That. And they all had their own pay disagreements and arguments and people, people forget Martin Luther King was called a race baiter and a terrorist. And he was a revolutionary, which people yeah. do not want to talk about because we want yeah. to remember him as I have a dream speech. But he was yeah. a revolutionary, a change agent. Yeah, exactly. They, they, all the things that they say about, you know, Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick, they say all the same stuff about Martin Luther King. Right. They, they, they said all those things. And after he died, they were able to take those. They were able to mold this this, you know, this idealistic image of him and put it on a pedestal almost as another shield against you know, against, against the black people, every time a black person, um, from that point on, anytime a black person tries to, Hey, this isn't right. Or I'm angry. Well, you know, Martin Luther King would never, I, I had a doubt for every time a white person, either in yes. real life or on the internet tries to shut me down and say, well, you know, Martin, well, you know, Martin Luther King had a dream. They don't know any other thing about Martin Luther King other than that one thing. Tell them to go read the letters from the Birmingham j- yes. uh, jail. Tell them to go read that. Yes. And, yeah. and, and when they read, make sure they read the part about he was not as worried about the KKK as he was the white moderate who remained yeah. silent. There you I go. Mean, that needs yeah, to be said. And you know what? When I read that, um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it changed me. It yes. changed me because I don't want to be a, a white moderate who was silent. Every time I speak up, whether it's on this podcast or whether it's on Facebook or in person. Um, Carmen, you and I were talking about um, earlier before we got on the podcast about um, the racial reconciliation group. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to start attending. Um, Jordan, I don't know if you go to this. It's in Spartanburg. It's called Speaking Down Barriers. Um, have you ever been? I go sometimes. Yeah. I, I've, I've never been. been. I've never been. I just heard about it uh, last week and, and I want to attend um, because, uh, you know, like what you said and, and Carmen too, I want to make sure that I'm putting myself in those places where I can hear these stories. Yeah. Um, because every time I hear story or, 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 you know, just listening to, to Jordan's story about drawing himself as, as a mm-hmm. white man, that just, that, that's another one of those moments that's going to go with me for a long time. Um, and I, I, I'm thankful for this podcast so we can get that out there. And sure. um, specifically um, we were talking about earlier, um, the, um, Lord, I lost my train, train of thought. I got fired up there for a minute. I lost my train of thought. Um, I don't know. It'll come back to me in many way. But anyway, I want to be a part of, um, of, of bridging the gap and helping people to see that Martin Luther King. Oh, I know it was, I know it was, I remember my thought, uh, with the recent gun shooting in, um, in, um, Florida, Florida in Florida. And and all those kids are protesting, and everybody's getting behind them because <laughs> they're they're mainly white kids. I'm noticing mm. it; it's mainly white kids, and I can't help but wonder if this was all black kids, would we be having the same conversation? And then my next thought was, well, um, now that they've organized this day of protest, I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook and social media. There's this whole wave of well, instead of walking out, go hug the kid who's bullied and eat lunch with the kid who's bullied and be nice to the kid who's bullied. Because they're wanting this little nice wave to happen. I agree. The nice wave should happen. 
But there is nothing wrong with kids standing up and walking out for their beliefs. And I think the same thing that's happened to black people throughout history for standing up is happening to these kids because they're kids or because they're um, it's not on the 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 white side of gun control, so to speak. And I say white side because conservative white people are usually the ones who are on the the, the pro gun side. And um, it's interesting to see. I think anybody who wants to start a revolution, the people yeah. in power try to squish it. But Jed, we saw what happened, and 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 uh, and Jordan mentioned this with Colin Kaepernick, who yeah. <laughs> tried to peacefully protest. Yeah, and so many um, people. Uh, act like he's just this devil and this demon no. and he, all he did was take a knee and yeah. do a silent peaceful protest for an issue that he felt was important and you saw what happened to him and everybody's oh. acting like he you know he's this horrible unpatriotic person. Yeah, unpatriotic yeah. person yeah. i think i think that's i think it's one of the most patriotic things i've ever seen because number one he has the freedom to do so absolutely and, and number two He's speaking his mind about an issue that um, that is 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 impactful. I mean, hello, it's affecting every part of our culture. Well, um, I was going to say for me, you know, when it comes to sports and race, you know, that's my area of where I really pay a lot of attention to because, you know, I think, was it Laura Ingram who a couple of weeks ago made the statement against LeBron yeah. James of, you know, just shut up and dribble. So, you know, that's what we want our athletes to do. You know, we want our athletes just to go out there and entertain us, throw that ball, run hard, break that tackle, dribble that ball. But forget that these athletes are humans and that they are experiencing the very same things that they're seeing out in the world and that if they want to use their platform, their platform to bring awareness to an issue peacefully, why would you not get behind that? But of course you must change the narrative because it was never about the military. It was never about the troops. It was never really about the police. It was about the bad police. It was about the unarmed um, black men being killed, but see how easily it was able to be transformed into be him being unpatriotic. And that right there is about keeping the message on point. And anytime I ever talked about Colin Kaepernick, I always went back to the original intent of what he was trying to do and troops had nothing to do with it. And so, but Hey, what gets people riled up? What gets white people, conservative white people riled up? Yeah. Guns, flags, (laughs) you know, God and country, but God comes last for some reason. Let me tell you this is I, you know what? I I never have, I've not had a national uh, platform like Colin Kaepernick, but I I have had a, a much bigger platform than a lot of people. And I have started being more open um, with the, the struggles that I have with the Pledge of Allegiance and with the National Anthem. Because when those songs were written, just like they weren't written for black people, mm-hmm. they, weren't for, they weren't written for gay people either. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I say the Pledge of Allegiance and I get to the line with liberty and justice for all, and I, I think that about the struggles that black people still face in this nation to buy a house, to get a job, where where they they're turned down sometimes just because of the name that they write on the application yeah because it doesn't say Susie Smith or it it grieves me and I'm very overwhelmed at it and I'll tell you several years before I quit teaching I stopped saying the pledge I I didn't I didn't tell anybody they couldn't do it we stood up my 
I did what was expected of me as a teacher. But personally, I did not say the pledge because when I said, when I got to that point of liberty and justice for all, and I looked out across my room that was mostly 80%, 90% African-American students, and I thought, there's not liberty and justice for them right now in so many ways. And then I thought about my own story. It was before I came out and even more so after I came out. Um, it, it just grieves me. And you know what? There might be some backlash to me just for saying that on this this program. Um, but man, I just, we have to start talking about that because that pledge wasn't written for right. for black people. It wasn't sure. written for, the national anthem was not written for black people. Jordan, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts about that whole thing the whole issue um i see it, the colin kaepernick issue right? yeah um yeah, it's frustrating man like it's always, it's, for me it goes back to this, this this idea that for when it comes to people of color in this country particularly black people um that as long as long as we check our identity at the door mm-hmm. white people and black people get along fine i always I always, one of the things that a lot of white people who try and talk to me about, about, you know, racial issues between black people and white people or the history of that history of racial issues in this country is that, well, you know, just because you know, they, white people will give these examples of nice white people or white people who are being um, uh, nice to other black people as ex- Okay, white people see racism as a binary. You either nice to black people or you're really mean to black people and you're calling them the N-word and you want to hang up from a tree. Like their concept of racism is so is 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 so completely simplistic and they don't understand the nuances of it. They don't understand, like, it, it's, it's hard for me, it's hard for, like, every time, for example, every time they say, oh, well, racism's over, we have a black president. I'm like, man, the, 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 in, in the late 1800s, post-Civil War, there were eight black senators. Was racism over then? No, we had, you know, the first black people were getting, were getting, were getting uh, accepted to Ivy League colleges. When the first black millionaires came around during Reconstruction, you had Black Wall Street, post-Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, all this all this, for lack of a better term, black excellence going on back then. But would you? But at the same time, that was when the KKK was first founded. That was when black codes were first first put in effect, separate but equal. Um, mm-hmm. And that was eighty years before Jim Crow. So would you say? So just because? So just because all just because black people are able to move about in the world with some semblance of freedom doesn't mean everything is a okay. Just because a black person, this was a white person, is being nice to you doesn't mean they're not racist. There are all different kinds of ways to be racist um, or, or express racism subconsciously and consciously. I, I, what comes, another thing that comes to mind is the idea of, of, um, of Levittown and this white flight and how when, when, black, when black people started moving into these urban environments for economic opportunity, all these white people started moving into the suburbs. And then when black people came back, black veterans came back from World War II, had the money to buy houses in the suburbs. And um, the white people who lived in these suburban environments, their their response to this wasn't, well, I don't want to live beside these black people because they're niggers and I hate them. Their response was, well, I don't want my property value to go down. Hmm. Hmm. Economic, systemic. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm not racist. I, I just don't want my property value to go down. 
And they don't understand that that's the problem. The fact that it, it's a butterfly effect. You don't want your property value to go down. So that black person's moving to your neighborhood. You're going to go talk to your to your neighborhood society. You guys are going to have a you guys have a discussion about it. And then that's when that's when the that that's the point in which more aggressive aspects of control start coming into play. That's when the Ku Klux Klan starts getting involved. That's when threats start happening. It's a it's it it, it it's a it but it. it it uh, ripples out. It ripples out into something that seems harmless to you, into something that becomes deadly to us, without you, without life even realizing it. Mm. <clears throat> mm. Um, so yeah, because it, things that make white people uncomfortable. White white people want black people to um, as long as long as we adhere to a certain norm, as long as we adhere to a certain way of, uh, of walking, talking, living our lives. Uh, we stay in our place. White people and black people will get along fine. They'll invite you over for dinner. They'll, you know, they'll, you know, they'll be nice to you. They'll open, you know, they'll, you know, they'll be real polite to you. Hello. How you doing? Oh, that's a nice, that's a nice Negro man. That's because you're, you're fitting into their idea yeah. of what constitutes being, being, being black in their mind. That this, this docile, comfortable, palpable idea of blackness that makes them comfortable. The moment you step out of that, that's that that's that's when you become that's when you become a it's you know, a, a liability or a threat. You become a liability or a threat. You threaten yep. their way of life. Uh, when I was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and yes. he was talking about how the, the Ku Klux Klan would come would come to his house and threat threaten his father for 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 um, for preaching the you know Marcus Garvey back to Africa movement, and they and they would say to him, you know, you're riling up all the good Christians, good niggers in the community, the oh good niggers God. in the community who were, uh, you know, and the good and those good niggers were basically people who stayed in their place, you know, they accepted their lot in life, they were they were the they were the they were the middle class black people in that environment, and what constitutes middle class work for black people being the nursemaids and the the butlers of <clears throat> wealthier white people. And they and they were comfortable in their place and they stayed there. And anyone who anyone who rebelled from that, you know, they were they were the problem. They were the problem. Oh gee, you see you see we, we can get along just fine, but you keep you keep trying to you keep trying to uh, you keep trying to you know rile everybody up, disturbing the peace. Hmm. You know and that, you shouldn't do that- isn't that the, and that don't you see that as the mentality too that that's that carries over into a situation like Colin Kaepernick? Mm-hmm. You're the guy who's who's not just being a quarterback and you know saying oh, I love America and you know and doing everything that that white folks think that uh, NFL quarterback should do that makes mm-hmm. them feel comfortable. He's actually bringing up a, a, a an issue peacefully right. in a way that, yeah. that an issue that makes some people uncomfortable. And instead of saying, "Hey, you know, that's his right," and he's, I applaud his his willingness to take a stand, we we demonize him and put him yeah. down. And then that, what does that do to all the other players in 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 professional sports? And they see what happens to Colin Kaepernick, then yeah. that you're you're stripping away their ability or to make a livelihood or to feel like they can speak out without some type of threat of backlash. Yeah. Like that. Their, their survival their survival mechanisms kick in. Their coping mechanisms kick in. They yeah. may agree with this other black person. They may agree mm-hmm. with their brother, but in order to survive, in order to keep food on their table, 
they're gonna have they're gonna have to play their part. That's right. Which means, which means they're gonna have to turn their nine times out of ten, they're gonna have to turn their back on their brother and say, Hey man, I agree with you, but you're gonna have to stop. And if he says he's not gonna stop, that's when it gets aggressive. That's when it gets violent. That's how that that's how white supremacy pits other people of color against each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's how it, it's a it's a mul- racism is a multi tier thing. It's not just again, it's not just white people calling someone calling someone the n word and a black person be feeling real bad about it. I can care less about about uh, Jeff Lowe calling me and calling me the n word. I, I can care less. You know, if I if I have to deal with all the other stuff, I can let that slide off my back. But it's it's not. It's this old lady down the street from me who when I when I go running in a hoodie, she you know she thinks she thinks I'm robbing somebody. And so, so she calls the police. That's what I'm worried about. You know, I'm, I'm worried about stuff like that. I'm worried about the fact that there are people who run our government, who run, who are who run our city government, who have deeply embedded prejudices and traditions that are that are that are, that, that, are, that view black people as something less than or yes. poor or as violent as, as as you know so on and so forth, and that affects how they legislate. That affects how they make decisions that affect my life that's that's what i'm worried that's what i'm worried about i can care less about you know um some some hillbilly down the street i can care less about that it's 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 a it's the you know it's a systematic it's a deeper right. systematic issue that 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 affect my life it's this idea that i have to um that i have to walk through this world on walking on eggshells and 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 constantly negotiating the kind of person your worth I, and your value. Yeah, exactly. In order in order to in order to survive, I could there. I have to really be careful about how, especially with me, the kind of person that I am now. Mm-hmm. I I the way I express myself on the internet as a as a, as a as a designer who who's a, who's a, a lot of, a lot of my contract work comes from prominent you know white people in in Spartanburg which is a very conservative environment I have to really be careful how I word things on the internet and I have to really be careful yeah, how I speak to people when um when I'm when I'm out in public and I'm talking with these people I know when we first started talking I knew this was no way we were going to be done in an hour um, because this is a topic that honestly, I feel like we could talk about for um, sure for months at a time. And every time I have this conversation, it is a learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that is what uh, Todd and I wanted this to be tonight was a learning experience. And I, I know a lot of the people who listen to our show, and I think it's going to be a learning experience for them. Um, I think there's going to be some practical takeaways for them. Um, what I hope is that... Um, some some of our African American listeners will will hear this and reach out to us, and and let's have another discussion about this because yeah, um, I, I think this is a discussion, Todd. We could probably have uh, every eighth episode, yeah, um, just to keep it at the forefront. I think because you know uh, you know uh, just a week before last when Billy Graham passed away, um, I remember when I was in college hearing him speak one time about America. And he said, if there's anything that's going to destroy America, it's not going to be an atomic bomb. It's not going to be uh, another civil war, but it's going to be the way that we, we deal with racism. Mm. Um, and, and I think what he meant was the way that we don't deal with it, the way that we don't talk about it, the way that we don't give it this public space. Um, and that's why I felt so passionate about it uh, being a topic that we talk about. Um, I would love to... Um, 
hear the perspective of other races in our country, other minorities, yeah. um, not just blacks, because I, I can I can only fathom um, what it's like to be a, even even a smaller minority, um, and cool. what what those people must feel like as well in our um, our predominantly white culture. And and the more I talk to those people and learn from them, the more my the scales of my eyes fall off, and I'm able to see a lot more clearly. Um, learn how to move forward um, for the good of all people. Um, we, we've got to wrap this up. Todd, I know that we always like to um, close with just like what we've been doing. But before we do, I just want to say thanks again to Jordan and to Carmen for y'all being on here. Man, when you hear personal stories and, and from real live humans and not a, a Facebook post or not even a, um, a, a news article where you don't see and hear the person the same, um, when you're reading, I mean, it's just, it's powerful to, to talk to you guys tonight. And I appreciate it so much. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Talk. Thank you. Thank you, Jed, for the opportunity, um, to express ourselves and um, as best, I mean, speaking for myself, but to, to be able to talk about this, I mean, you know, it's near and dear and passionate to my heart. And, um, so giving me this platform to speak on it, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you both for um, this opportunity, and and hopefully um, we uh, was able to, you know, educate and spread you know some 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 good messages for other people to take away. And just at the end of the day, what I just say is, listen, listen to to understand. Don't listen to respond, and you know, yeah. have empathy, and um, and, and that's the way that you can you know really make a change and a difference. So, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity as well, uh, Todd and Jed. Um, um, I, I, I appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out to me and giving me the opportunity to express myself in this way as well. I've, I've again, I've never done a podcast before. This is my first time. I, you know, I hope, <laughs> hope it hope it went okay. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I, we need to have you back on. There's a lot, a lot of other uh, topics that we're going to cover, so we'll definitely invite you guys back. Absolutely. Um, I was going to, you know, there's, there's so much to talk about with this issue. We didn't even get to, you know, I wanted, I was going to mention the whole illusory biological construct of race in the first place, Mm. which, you know, the whole race is not, is biological. It's a social construct. Right. And And it was created to subjugate people was created to, to justify stealing people's lands to uh, raping people um enslaving people it was it was yeah it was created to justify that and i really wish that people would wake up to the fact that that race is not based on genetics and that it's mm-hmm. um and and that we can undo that social construct it has very it's a very real thing for people and I, so i don't mean to say that race mm-hmm. is a very real thing because it's a social construct but it would be great if we could um under if people had a better understanding that it's not biologically based at all exactly so so i just wanted to mention that before we get off but i did want to recommend um uh a podcast that was going to be my recommendation there's a guy named russell brand i don't know if you know who that is he's the british guy with Mm -hmm. with long dark hair who's very frenetic but he's got a new podcast well it's not new but it's relatively new called under the skin um and he explores some really interesting stuff i just wanted to Give a shout out to that that podcast that I discovered about a week ago. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, the local bookstore here in Spartanburg, Hub City Books. 
Um, I have become really good friends with um, the people that work in there. And when you become good friends with the um, people at bookstore, they give you these pre-release copies of books for free. So you can read them and give the, um, uh, their, your thoughts and opinions. And it went perfectly. She gave me this book this week. It's called Gadfly on the Wall. A public school teacher speaks out on racism and reform. Um, she knew the work that I'm in, and she thought that I would want to read it. Uh, so she gave me this copy, and I'm really excited to read through it, just looking at some of the topics. Um, it's just really intriguing. One of them says uh, standardized testing has always been putting people in their place, and it's a look at the way um, standardized tests are stacked up against minorities from the get-go. So I, I'm just really excited to read this and Todd that may be something for another day just specifically yeah. racism in our school system yeah. um, could be a topic for another day I would love yeah. to talk about that so anyway yeah I would just say want to want to say to uh, my final thought for, for the show is if you listen to this and you're upset take a few breaths and maybe listen to it again <laughs> yep agreed and then you know what shoot us an email I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts shoot us a message um, and then if you know, if you're mad at us, then I'll just tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> so, there's that. Um, anyway, uh, again, Carmen, Jordan, thank you very much. Todd, it's been a great episode. Yeah. I look forward to hearing this. It's great. Yep. Thanks again. Uh, learned a All lot. Right. Appreciate it. Thank you. I right, appreciate you guys, you guys listening. Okay. Yep.